Hey guys, so after pretty positive feedback following the podcast with um, Reese Thomas last week where we talked, we went a bit off track and actually talked about our own attitudes towards careers and perspectives that we, we shared and that we use, I decided to do another episode that was a bit off topic as well with Ed Knapper who was on from episode 8 who talked about his time at Goldman Sachs. In this episode we just kind of run through we debate productivity and different people's perspectives on it, and then we talk about our own sort of methods and perspectives on productivity, how we manage to sort of get the best out of each other, or at least within our own capabilities, and uh, discuss a few other interesting topics as well. So please give it a listen and let us know what you think. Hey guys, um, we're here today with Ed Napper again, um, same man who joined us on episode 8 I think it was, um, but we're going to go a bit off topic, we've decided to call it a special edition where we go off the structure of the usual kind of grad life career stuff and just talk about a couple of themes that we've discussed in the last couple of weeks um, that I thought would really kind of be of interest to, to the listeners here. So one thing we were talking about, I was talking about um, a friend, I won't say who, who's uh, very frustratingly very unproductive. And we were kind of talking about, like, how... It's not... Well, you were saying you were teaching me. It's not always easy just to be as productive as, as the next guy. I mean, people yeah. are driven differently, et cetera. Um, but you can make these changes quite, quite easily as well. Yeah, I think what was really interesting... And hey, everyone, by the way, it's, yeah. uh, it's good to be back. I love having chats with Mark, um, and I hope you enjoy listening. Chats with Mark, that would have been a good name. Yeah, I think that's like the, that's like the byline. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, you were talking about your friend and, and talking about how you think they're super unproductive and it frustrates you. And I think that's because you're a productive guy who's, as I would say, like biased towards action. So you, you have a bias towards getting things done, moving forward, not being, not not standing still, not just reflecting on yeah. stuff, but actually having reflecting on it and then doing something about it. Um, and I kind of observe partly just through I know, you know, periods in my life, but also other people I know that not everyone has that bias towards action, and some people just you know don't really want to do anything because they're either they're not feeling great about stuff, or equally they don't know what to do, so they're sort of paralyzed, and it's not that they are happy not doing something, but they're also, they don't really see a way, a path forward. So it's not always just they're choosing to be unproductive. Yeah, I know. They, like, they don't kind of say, okay, I'm going to sit here and do nothing with my life. But like, surely they have something that they say, I want to do that. And then they just start working towards doing it, you know? Yeah, and I think, I think we, we kind of talked about it as well, saying sometimes for people, I think, and again, this is all just observation-based. Yeah, yeah, it's not like we've studied it. But yeah. um, I think... For some people, and I know speaking to some people, just, you know, like getting through the day, like just getting up, going going to work or not, or just like living yeah. takes up almost all the sort of productive capacity they have that the idea of just even doing one step more than what they do, like whether that's just putting on a tie to go to work or going to the gym or changing what they eat or, you know, visiting their parents or doing one, reading a book anything like beyond what they absolutely have to do just to survive is it you know is a step too far for them because just surviving and getting through the day and I don't mean surviving in the sense that they're out on the savannah yeah, being yeah, hunted yeah. by lions but just you know getting through life well, is keeping really keeping up hard. with the pace of today's world exactly is just already taking 100% of what they've got yeah you know? 
question mm. or, or, or a hypothesis. Um, everyone who is alive today, say everyone in our generation, is the offspring of people who survived the generation before. Yeah. And, they, and those people were the, the offspring of people who had survived the generation before that and so on thousands of years and back. And not just survived, but well, successful enough thrived. to reproduce. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So not just survived, but thrived. How can the offspring of, I'm just going to say, a hundred lines and generations of not just survivors, but thrivers, mm. hundred generations of thrivers, the hundred and first generation can't keep up? Yeah. How is that biologically possible? Like, how are these people? Yeah. <laughs> nah, I'm like, it drives, like, lethargy drives me nuts, and yeah. that's why I get into this. But how are they not, like, thriving or at least surviving yeah. with a bit left in the tank? It's again. I think that's really interesting. And not being an evolutionary biologist, I, I'm not sure I can give a definitive answer. But I, the way I would think about it is, I'm sure, as with anything, it's a numbers game. So, a proportion of people will be the way you're talking about, like bias towards action, wanting to get things done, being thrivers. Yeah. But inevitably, there'll be a regression towards the mean, and some portion of the population won't be as let's put it in inverted commas there successful. Yeah. or driven as the generation before them. And so we see as a species, human beings are hugely curious, always, you know, what's on the other side of that hill? How fast can we go? How high can we go? What's in space? What's, what's next? What's next? Yeah. What's next? And that's what's driven human creativity. It's what's driven our, you know, spread across the world. It's, there's now 7 billion people from, you know, arguably a few thousand individuals only 150,000 yeah. years ago incredibly successful and that's driven by that power of compounding you know interest and curiosity and drive yeah. but inevitably there will be a portion of the population who don't fit into that and are less driven are less motivated aren't as curious and you see that in your own life you see a person who's not very curious who's happy living where they are they're not really doing something and i think another thing that's happened is we've created a world in which it's quite possible to thrive without needing those that drive. You know, we don't live in a cave anymore. Yeah. We don't have to find the next field. Like, we don't have to run after yeah. it. You know, we've got quite a happy life or, a, you know, a safe life for most people in, like, you know, the, the first world. But yeah. there's not that same kind of need. I uh, There's something about this I read really unlike, and it's kind of funny having worked in a technology company, but I think we're on this big tendency towards doing nothing. So what everybody is working towards, or what, you know, what all the kind of uh, thought leaders, inverted commas, in Silicon Valley are working towards is the, the tendency towards doing nothing. So I'm, I can now today sit on my couch, order food, <laughs> go shopping, on like go shopping, buy cars to close the technology to a wife, I think they sell in, in bloody Asia. Um, like, I don't know, name something else. I could probably yeah. get married online. I can talk to my friends. I can see my friends online. Yeah. I can Skype someone who is in Antarctica online. Mm. And all sitting on my couch. Yeah. Like it's, and I can, order, I can watch any movie I want. Yeah. Like, all sitting on my couch. So we've created a world where one can get away with doing nothing and not leaving the couch. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting because you think all those technologies play on, like, the two or two of the like, sort of most base human or not even human, but just animal motivations or animal interests, and that's to consume, whether that's calories or products, yeah. and to not physically have to do anything. Because if you also think about it, it's like if you live in, if you've evolved in an environment in which calories are scarce and 
you know, the world's hard, there is a massive advantage to getting as many calories as you can or consuming as much as you can with as little effort as possible. Mm. So humans are both <laughs> like biased towards eating more or consuming more, whether that's food or whatever, yeah. than we need and also doing as little as possible to get it. So when you create this culture of convenience, you can actually like pump as many products at people as possible. And if you remove the friction of getting them so they have to do less, people will just consume and consume and consume and consume because there's almost like a biological need to... I'm just going to use the word here, eat, but or yeah, consume, consume yeah. without actually putting any energy in or any effort in. And it's the same. You see, people talk about, you know, you see a tiger in the wild and it's majestic and it's fit and it's happy. And then you see a tiger in a cage and it's overweight and it's happening, mm. you know, it looks depressed. That's true on one hand. But on the other hand, it's like, if you keep feeding the tiger and don't make it hunt its food, it will continue to eat. And the tiger would prefer to not have to hunt to get its food. Like, I, can, I really disagree. Because No, and the thing is, it's true because they don't, like, the only reason they hunt is so they can they can eat. If you just keep putting food there, they'll continue to eat it. Of course they're going to eat it. Like, of course, like, so say, I don't know, instead of walking up to Coles for my food and my housemate gets Uber Eats again, um, I, like, I'm going to have well, we it. we weren't naming who it was. <laughs> no, of course I'll have it. But, so, the, the question I would ask you to, to frame this my disagreement, because I disagree, I think we're action-oriented naturally. Or maybe now I'm starting to think maybe we're split in two, because I know I definitely am action-oriented. Someone like me, I don't think I could ever retire. Because mm, if okay. I was sitting at home, even on holidays, mm. I'm, uh, like I'm about to go on a 13-week trip around South America, a 12-week trip. Yeah. I'm, what I'm daunted by is the prospect of not having like, a productivity kind of yeah. schedule and all that sort of stuff. And I've, I've decided to just read a marketing book a week. Yeah. But like, I, I go nuts if I can't do something. Mm. There's something, I'm not the only one like that. There's no, and I, like I know that. lots of people like that, and you hear and especially a lot of you know, successful people yeah. like that because you get a lot done. But if we have a tendency towards, if we have a natural tendency towards doing nothing, mm. why is it that there are people out there like that, like me, who wouldn't be able to retire and do nothing? Yeah, and I, I'll be honest with you, I don't know, and I kind of phrase all this by saying I'm yeah. not a biologist, but my, my kind of read on it is we all have sort of base motivations that we don't necessarily act on and like our kind of rational mind takes over mm. and has an impact as well. So I'm not saying you're rationally choosing to always do things. Like obviously you have an inherent like want to do that outside of just rationally deciding to do it. Yeah. But I think that, you know, there still is always a temptation to not do, not have to do something. Or if it's not not do something, take the easy way. Yeah. For example, it's not just you can still be biased towards action but have this sort of tendency come through by choosing an easy thing right mm. so like i could for example decide that it's too I, I let's say i get really interested in like fitness and working out like i could decide i'm gonna walk to the south pole or i could decide that i'm gonna do the same length journey but in an easier environment right yeah. and that's not to say it's easy to do option a but it's just potentially easier than option B. Mm. And that's still some reflection of this kind of tendency. Part of it would be what's possible, but there's also just taking a slight, there is always a, you know, you're always fighting yourself. Don't take an easy option, take the better option. Yeah. Right. And I think if you, and I, I want to talk about this a little bit as well, this idea of incremental gains. Yeah, for sure. But if you kind of take the easy path quite a few times, it takes you down the road of. Yeah, for sure that with no effort yeah. versus if you take the harder road you see the value and you feel the 
you know, I guess, um, you know, like the dopamine hit of actually doing something rewarding that's difficult. And so you then want that again. So you keep searching out for harder things. You yeah. know, like the idea that you can get addicted to things which are, are hard and difficult because you like how it makes you feel. Yeah. That idea, like there's, there's a couple of ways I want to take that, but um, that idea of incremental gains and, and well, you, so you have your thing about um, incremental gains, which I love. Mm. I've, I've kind of realized recently with incremental challenges. So they say willpower is a muscle. Not they say, it's, yeah. a, it's, it's a fact. I read a book on it years ago by a guy called Bowmeister. Mm. Can't remember his first name, Bowmeister though. And willpower is a muscle. And if you mm. do if you do reps, your muscle gets bigger. Simple. Yeah. And I've noticed myself kind of doing reps recently mm. with willpower. So say like I'm reading a book and I'm on page 80 and I'm completely over it. And I say, no, just read to 100. Then you yeah. can go to bed. Yeah. And I just don't want to, but I do it. And then yeah. the next time I challenge myself, it becomes easier to do whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, do you, it would actually happen yesterday. I'd, I, I was in the gym and I said, no, st- and I want to go. I said, no, stay till the end of the song. Like work mm. till the end of the song. Then you can go. Did yeah. it. Felt great. And next time it's going to be easier again. Exactly. These incremental little challenges that do the reps for your willpower. Yeah. I really think that alters your mindset. Yeah, for and sure. I think this is a good segue into what I love <laughs> yeah. your uh, incremental gains. Mind. So, do you get what I'm saying there? Yeah, no, I totally get it. And, like, I know what you mean about willpower being a muscle. And I think also your point that's really powerful is that when you do it, you actually feel good. Yeah. And so, because you feel good, you do it again, yeah, and then you've ex- like you said, you've exercised it a little bit more, yeah, and you're able to lift more proverbial weight for your willpower. Exactly, you know? exactly, and you start to not fear it, but actually seek it out. You are, and then you seek so that challenge in other areas. Yeah, so true. Um, and I think, yeah, the the idea of incremental gain, we were sort of talking about it about it before, and we chatted about the you know the Einstein quote: "The most powerful force in the universe is that of compound interest." Yeah. And for people who don't know, compound interest is the idea that you get, if you put money in a bank and you say you put $100 in and they give you a 3% saving rate, then every year you get an extra $3 in your account. But the compound interest is that you now earn 3% on that $3 as well as on the $100. So the next year you actually, they put more money in the bank and then over time that extra bit on an extra bit adds up to a huge amount. It accumulates much faster. There's a, there's a story about it. You'll know this, I think. I think it's Warren Buffett that tells it that. The story about the guy in the kingdom years ago, and he does the king a favor. And the king goes, servant, you've done me good. How can I repay you? And he goes, I'm going to give you all the fields over there. And the guy goes, no, uh, sire, that's far too much. And he goes, okay, I'm going to give you all the fields and all the horses over there. And he goes, no, sire, that's far too much. God, what can I do for you then? The guy takes out a chessboard, and he puts a coin on mm. it, or like a piece of silver on, on one black spot in the corner. Mm. Like there's 64 spots on the chessboard. Yeah. Puts a coin on one thing, and he goes, "Put, give me the coin on this uh, spot. The spot beside it, give me two coins. Yeah. And just double it for every spot. That's all yeah. I want. Just yeah. keep doubling it on the chessboard. Yeah. And he goes, one, two, four, eight, 16, <laughs> whatever, 32. All the way up, 64 boxes. Yeah. And by the end of it, he'd given them the kingdom. Yeah, Because exactly. that was the power of compound. So you do exactly. uh, double that, then double that. It's a geometric that, progression. That. Yeah, and it just, uh, what's that? Yeah, geometric. Is it's it like, geometric, right? Yeah. What did I have? Exponential. Exponential, geometric, yeah, geometric, geometric yeah. same thing, yeah. So you've got this theory that I love about mm. how you can exponentially... Yeah, and I think you can sort of take that idea of compound interest and just apply it to 
you know, most other things that involve, you know, human effort. Yeah. So you could apply it to, you know, physical activity about getting fit or getting strong, or you could apply it to, you know, food, or you could apply it to your job, or you could apply it to your interest or relationship. And the idea is that it doesn't matter what you start with. If you just apply an incremental little bit of extra effort in each period, so whether that's each day, each meal, each time you meet someone new, Mm. every week, every year, whatever it is, and then you make sure you make that improvement, and then next time you make a small improvement on top of that, over time, the power of those small incremental gains is massive, and also it doesn't feel like you're going from A to Z in one movement. Because I think one of the reasons we sort of talked about people being kind of paralysed um, and not being biased towards action is they often they see where they want to be, but it looks so far away mm. that it's really hard to go. What's the point? Yeah. You know, and an example would be you know in a, in Sydney in Australia at the moment, getting buying a house as a young home buyer right is really daunting because property prices are very high. Wage growth ha- growth hasn't kept up with property growth, mm. and that's one hundred percent true. And there's like you know all sorts of reasons driving the the property boom and why it's becoming difficult for people to buy and I think you see a lot of people our age who say I'm never going to be able to save enough to buy the house so what's the point and then they don't save because they're like well I may as well enjoy my (laughs) life now because I'm not I'm not going to ever be in a position to buy the house so why not enjoy you know the money and go on my holidays and stuff now and I'm not saying you shouldn't do that Mm. but all I'm saying is that if you do that you definitely will never get a house yeah and so what might seem insurmountable in you know a short term becomes less insurmountable as you take small but meaningful steps towards it. So yeah. saving for a house might be too big an idea, but the and one idea might be you know improving you know your health or you know health through diet or exercise. So you might say, you know, I want to be like Mark, I want to go to the gym seven times a week and you know get strong. But then well when I'm currently doing nothing that seems this is way too yeah. much. I can't see myself doing that. But the idea is, we'll just go once. Yeah. And then... Once a week, and then you can feel good, and then you go, okay. You start doing that, and you actually maybe have a bit more energy, and you think, okay, well, maybe I'll go twice now. Or I'll go one, twice, three times in two weeks, or something like that. And you only add an incremental bit, but over a month, or over two months, or over six months, or over a year, you've actually massively increased what you're doing with very little incremental effort at each time. Yeah. And I think that's what's really interesting. I couldn't agree more with that stuff. So I learned that the hard way. So let's put two people beside each other. Um, We'll just say you and your idea. And then me, it was three years ago. Yeah, three years ago. And I said, okay, I know what my goals are. That was step one. I knew the Mm. goals. So I wanted to be fluent in Spanish. I wanted to read a book a week. And I wanted to go to the gym every day. Mm. And I wanted to start getting up early. I wanted to get up at five every day. So that's Mm. four goals that I had. And the vision, you know, where you kind of visualize who you want to be. That was it. And I had that down. And then, like, that was on a Sunday night, say, I wrote those goals. Then I go to bed, set the alarm for five, have the Spanish ready, get the book ready, have my shoes ready for the gym. And that routine hit it really hard the next day. Tuesday, really hard. By Friday, I quit. Yeah. Because it was just too much. Like, it was, was, as you say, A, straight to Z, and it was just a different kind of realm of energy Mm. requirements and stuff. It was ridiculous. And put then you with your incremental, and say you started at the same time, the 1st of January, and that Sunday night, you said, okay, I'm going to start going to the gym once a week, mm. and then I might do a bit of Spanish once a week, or mm. do, do each of those things, like Monday gym, Tuesday Spanish, three Wednesday get up yeah. uh, early, whatever. Look at both of us towards the end of the 12 months there, 
yeah. you would have built in the five a day in each mm. incrementally, bit by bit by bit by bit. Whereas I tried to take big chunk, no missed, big chunk, no missed, big yeah. chunk, no missed. Um, it, and and it put the same metaphor would apply to weightlifting. If you exactly. try to bench 150 now, you're not going to do it. If you, if you start benching 80 and then eventually exactly. go up, 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 you'll get there. And I think that's really interesting because people, I think, understand that it applies to things like fitness, but yeah. I think people don't understand that it applies to education and career in as much as it does anything else. How would it apply to career? What way do you see that? Well, so I, I think it is, if you think about, you know, what's going to get you ahead in your career, part mm. of it is like the knowledge that you have. Part of it is the experience that you, so knowledge being like formal education and also just, you know, IQ, let's say. Yeah. And uh, uh, another one would be the experience you've had. So like what you've done in work that's going to inform your career. Yeah. Um, and then another part of it might be the relationships that you have within your firm, within your industry more broadly. Yeah. Um, and so I think, if you look at each of those as building blocks to building a better career or moving your career forward, you need to, you know, have more knowledge, you need to have more experience and you need to have more or better, more, and when I say more, more or better of any of those things, relationships, knowledge, experience, Yeah. rather than saying, oh, how do I get from being in my first year, not knowing anything, let's say, let's uh, not having any experience and not knowing anyone in the industry, to being, you know, the CEO of the company who yeah. has tons of all of it. Well, you don't do that in a day. You do that over a 20, 30, 40 year period. And what you have to realize is even if when you're at work, it doesn't seem like you have something to do, you do have something to do and that's build your own career. And so whatever work you do, whether it's running your own business, working for someone else, if you're a teacher or if you're a stockbroker or if you're a plumber, even if you don't technically have something that you have to be doing, what you should be doing is working on your own business, which is you. Yeah. So either improving your knowledge by reading a bit about a work-related or work-tangential topic to improve your knowledge, getting a bit more experience, so offering to help someone else. Yeah. Or offering to do something a little bit outside your area of expertise in order to gain knowledge. Or network networking, and I hate the word networking because it sounds so grubby, yeah. but it's like just getting to know people either at your work, at a similar work, or more broadly, so that you have a, you know understanding of what people do, who's around, and who you could you know, reach out to yeah. to work on things. And I think if you think about work like that, you realise that work is also just a series of incremental gains. Yeah. And if you say, oh, to get this promotion, I need to have 50 things done, it seems really hard. Mm. But if you realise that over two years, that's actually like you know one thing every two weeks, it's really not yeah. that hard. God, yeah. 50, yeah. God, that's really good. There's two pieces of advice I would, I would uh, add on to that from my own experience. So, and it is actually, it, and coincidentally, lines up with this uh, incrementality idea and the idea of you always have something to do. So two mistakes I made when I uh, joined Macquarie and what I think a lot of ambitious grads do you try to jump from, say, and I don't mean ranking here, but knowledge base from level one to level three or four. You try to make it look like you know more than mm. you do. And I think a lot of people do it. You want, grads naturally feel a pressure to do it because they feel like they need to live up to what the team has And because it's it, all so new, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, so oh, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about there. And then, yeah. So you go up to level three and you're operating there, but you are, you, you, you are on level three without building blocks of <laughs> yeah. one and two underneath you. Yeah. And you don't have that underlying knowledge yeah. that kind of makes makes your knowledge complete or thorough, if yeah. that makes sense. Or well, you've got like a firm foundation. Exactly. You don't have yeah. a firm foundation. And so 
I think people, instead of striving for big strides in their knowledge mm. when they start to work, um, I think they should strive for incremental, yeah. thorough uh, knowledge gains and then go off that. Yeah. I re- like I, that's much, much, much better and more effective and uh, long-term a view than is striving for a big project or whatever it is and then not ha- leaving lots of gaps in your knowledge. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think we talked about it as well. Um, and I completely agree with you. It's like you're going to have more success if you stick to like manageable bite-sized yeah. pieces of growth yeah. versus saying, I want, to, I want to be Usain Bolt tomorrow, right? Yeah. Um, but I, and I think what's really interesting is we talked about that in the idea of investing as well. And I think most people, you know, would look at an investment and think, you know, let's say you have a little bit of money because you've only got a little bit of money to invest in order for it to make like the investment to be successful in the sense that it makes a meaningful difference to your life. It has to return such a ridiculous amount yeah. to you proportionate to what you put in mm. that it's almost impossible to find that. So let's say you're putting $1,000 in. If it doesn't return $10,000, then it's not actually going to change really your yeah. way of life. But ten to like nothing's going to return 10 to 1 reliably. Yeah. And so people are always out there searching for, you know, I want to be the next Zuckerberg. Or I want to invent Instagram and get paid a billion dollars. All these sorts of stuff without realizing that, you know, if you just invested, for example, in an index fund, which just tracks the stock market, sure, year to year, it doesn't look like a ridiculous return. It averages 7%. Yeah, 7, 8%, something like that. Over 30 years, I I can't exactly remember the maths, but I think it's like if you started with $10,000 and you put in like $100 a month over 30 years, you turn 10 grand into like a million dollars. Really? Yeah. And that is you know, a meaningful change. With an index fund, the most With, reliable thing. And the thing exactly. And it's like, but most people don't do that because most people want to do the kind of flashy change. Yeah. And like, I'm guilty of this. You're, I'm sure, guilty yeah. of this. Everyone is guilty of it because it's not, it doesn't seem sexy. Yeah. Right? And it doesn't seem like it's making a change in real time, you know? 30 years seems like an age. But if you think, if you just think about how reliably it will do that, that's a much better investment yeah. than trying to make take 10 grand and make it a million dollars in two years right um and i think if you just think about lots of things in that way it makes you kind of reevaluate how you decide to do things yeah and so if you think i want to be you know that successful in a year then you probably do have to invent instagram Mm. but if you think that i'm happy to take 30 years to get there maybe you do there is a really reliable way to do that and i don't mean like a path that you can just get on and it gets you there, but I mean, making small incremental improvements yeah. will get you there over a longer yeah, period I get of time. That. And you can sub in investment, you know, health, education, work, whatever you like. I think you can also put in relationships because you have, like anything, you have to work on a relationship, whether that's yeah. like friendship or an intimate relationship. The idea that you know, maybe you're not as good a person as you want to be or you don't have as many friends as you want or you don't have a girlfriend or a boyfriend or, or the one that you're in you're not happy with. If you kind of just actually take time to work on that and just make small changes, yeah, you'll actually see that there's a, a huge benefit over a long period of time. Yeah, and you see, uh, not that I'm in any way a relationship expert, but you see the... <laughs> Mate, and, and, and neither am I. I've got a lovely girlfriend. She's awesome, but I would not say I'm an expert. Yeah, but you see the people who... Um, try to go from A to Z in that part of life and end up putting too much pressure on the relationship. It's just a very clear... We don't need to be experts to see that. It's very clear. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I guess you could say that applies maybe across the board, putting too much pressure on yourself, career, sport, weight. For sure. And just being impatient, right? There is definitely a power to impatience. Like you talked about being 
not wanting to have time off because you get bored and yeah. you always want to have something. And that's impatience. You know, yeah. like you want to be busy, you want to be doing things because you want to get somewhere, right? But then there's being impatient in a silly way, which is trying to, like you said before, trying to do Spanish yeah. gym, 5 a.m. and yeah. read a book every day all at once. And yeah. you end up failing at all of them. Yeah. And I think also what could happen is let's say you did that one year and then the next week you're like, no, I'm going to try again. And then you failed again. Mm. And then you did it again and you failed again. And let's say you failed 10, 15 times. Suddenly your outlook, outlook changes from anything is possible to everything is impossible. Yeah. And so not only does having taking like an incremental approach to things um, tend to be more successful, because it tends to be more successful, you actually feel better yeah. and you're less likely to quit. And it also is more less likely to make you negative, have a negative outlook. Yeah. Another thing I'd say, so agreed. And another thing I'd add to that is that I'm, I'm actually a decent example with the, the drinking thing. So some people, they try to give up drinking. They do, what is it, dry July. Dry July, yeah. And um, in fact, there was a girl on my team who was saying she did dry May, I think, this year. Okay. And then 1st of May comes along. She's dry, go off to a good start. 2nd of May, has a bad day at work. The manager takes her out for a meeting, gives her a glass of champagne. This girl completely forgets about her dry May, drinks the glass of champagne, said, oh, crap, I just blew it. And then she just goes back drinking for May. Because it's no, I'll no longer dry May. Oh, didn't do it. What's the point? Why don't you just say, okay. I'll do 29 days. Yeah. Just like, you know, pick it up and still make the effort yeah. to, to go on then. And I was talking to a friend this morning who, um, just chatting away to him, and he didn't realize that I hadn't drank since January. So I've mm. now gone pretty much 10 months without drinking. Yeah, which is Which awesome. seems like impossible yeah. to... And I, I'll, I'll admit that it seemed impossible to me too. I said, yeah. let's do a year. Yeah. And I said, no, that's, that's like, a, there's no way I can do that. Yeah. And just incrementally, I just said, yeah. let's do like tonight, Saturday night. Let's just yeah. say, okay, let's not, not go out on the piss tonight. Like, I won't yeah. drink. I'll go out, but I won't drink. Yeah. And then next week, it's okay. Next week, it's okay. The first month, I can, if anyone is thinking about doing it, I can tell you it's absolutely crap. Yeah. Because you get used to it. You yeah. get used to it kind of being the refresh button on your week or whatever it is, yeah. and you get up, hung over, eat some Doritos, social, and then you're sweet Social the next crutch day. as well, right? Exactly. It's yeah. A, and yeah, so that's a big thing. You go out, and um, everybody is kind of hand, they're forcing you drinks, and they buy you drinks, and it's awkward yeah. saying, so I mean, I can't drink it. Yeah. Um, but eventually, people realize you're doing it. They stop giving you the drinks, and you, it's smooth sailing. So it's yeah. been a breeze for me, touch wood, since probably February, March. And I think it's really interesting because for me, like, I'm just going to be straight up like, that would be super hard for me, <laughs> yeah. for me to do. Um, and I think I actually asked you like three times since you stopped <laughs> you drinking. Did. I'm like, we need to go get a beer. And you're like, I'm not drinking, mate. And I've forgotten because I just <laughs> couldn't comprehend it. But um, I think what's really interesting is it's saying like it was really hard in the first month. But I think what you kind of probably discovered was it's possible. It's po- And you gain momentum. Yeah. And then because once you realize that it's possible it doesn't seem so hard anymore. Yeah. And then, you know, once you've done it a few times, it's, it's easy. And I yeah. guess it's similar to thinking about like anything which is daunting or scary. It's like the first time you go to jump off a rock into the water, it seems scary. Then mm. you do it once and then you do it twice. And after a while, it's just, you see kids like running up and down yeah. doing this thing because it's no longer scary or daunting yeah. for them because they're used to it. It's really interesting. I've got, um, I've got a good mate who gave up. <laughs> he's, um, uh, he's obsessed with corn chips Right. right. Um, and so like he's a celiac, so he can't eat lots of uh, different right, snacks, right. but he can have corn chips and he's a fiend for corn chips. But he decided that he was going to do a year 
no corn chips. No way. And no hot chips. That would be hard. And they were like his favourite things. Um, and he's, I think, what, three or four months in now, and he's sticking strong to it. But I think what was really interesting was he, he was thinking about it for a while yeah. before he started doing it. And so it's not like one day he just cut it out completely. Like um, he was sort of tempering his consumption leading mm. up to the no eating stage. Yeah. So that it wasn't such a ridiculous thing. And I know still it's hard for him every day to do. And I saw him just the other night and he was like, oh, he was talking about Saturday night watching the rugby and he couldn't have any, um, any corn chips <laughs> while he watched the rugby and it was difficult. <sighs> but, um, but yeah, I think he, he, it's just like a day at a time kind of thing. Yeah. You, you know, having no experience with this, watching, you know, like The Wire and you see them, you know, talking to he- like recovering heroin addicts and yeah. they're saying, you know, like just one day at a time. Yeah, a day at a time. I'm surprised Break it's not it up into, Breaking months. it up into a, um, like, you know, uh, a doable portion. Yes. Rather than I'm going to do a year. It's like, yeah. I'll just do today. Yeah. And then if you just do today 365 times, well, there you go. Yeah, or like do, you know, say with drink, it's the weekend. It's a week, Let me just yeah. do this, let me just get through Saturday and not exactly. drink. And then you're 14 days in. Yeah. Then you get through another day. Then you're 21 days in. And you, yeah. you pick up loads of momentum without yeah. even noticing it. Yeah, and I'm sure um, you feel better and you don't need to. Oh, yeah, like infinitely better. You lose loads of weight, which is weird. Yeah. You just magically drop like loads of weight. Yeah. Um, but yeah, energy, clarity, clear mind, all like mm. there's no real downsides to be honest. One thing I do wonder though, so I'm obviously an extrovert and, and we're kind mm. of chat to a wall, but I wonder um, what it would be like for a quiet person mm. to do. And I thought about it and I thought um, it might even do them good because it forces them. Not that there's anything wrong with being quiet. In fact, mm. probably most of my best friends are pure introverts, but I think... Because uh, there's only so much room for... Yeah, maybe. Or if I had someone else like me, we'd drive each other mad. But um, if I think it would do them good, I think it would yeah. put them out of the comfort zone a little bit and, and grows them as people and makes them more chatty and sociable without yeah. the because you know, I, the one thing I don't like is when someone's really quiet and then they get shit faced and then they're really loud. Yeah, like I, I, I don't like the gap there. Yeah, like, if they're I think really there's loud like all the time. yeah, there's sort of a tr- be true to yourself kind of thing. So yeah, I think again, I'm never gonna say getting on the beers is a bad thing because <laughs> yeah. it's like my favourite hobby but um, I also am pretty confident that most of the things I would say or do you know piss like would be a, a, an exaggeration of how I am yeah. sober but it's still in the same ballpark yeah. right and I think if you need alcohol to deal with stress or to deal with being upset or mm. to make you know in your mind you fun around other people yeah. then yeah maybe like I think it's taking a break from it would be would do you some good, and then building the confidence that you can actually do all those things without it. I actually I travelled around South America for three months, um, and a large portion of that with a guy who didn't drink at all, and he never drank, and he just never he has never drank. Right. Um, and he used to come out with us every night, you know, go to concerts and stuff, be out till four a.m. Yeah. Wouldn't didn't have a you know anything to drink and. He was great fun and at no point were you like, oh, this guy's boring because yeah. he doesn't drink because he was just happy and comfortable in yeah. himself and he could chat to anyone, he'd do whatever and he was cool with it and I thought that was really impressive Yeah, because I was like, man, we must have been talking some rubbish. <laughs> yeah. There is a funny, so I, like the, yeah. I, I plan on doing that, I'm leaving on Tuesday, but yeah, there's a time every time I go out where, and I see, I don't notice people getting drunk, so I'm mm. chatting to them, everybody's having a great time. And then they just like, we're having like a really good conversation and then 
two sentences in a row would be said to me that I just don't understand. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, these guys are wiped out. I'm going home. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm... the good thing is you can probably smoke bomb and they <laughs> oh, don't notice. The Irish goodbye works so well when, <laughs> yeah. you're, when you're not drinking. Um, but yeah, people do kind of just get, they kind of get, I don't know, maybe go off a bit of a cliff. Um, but it's good. I highly recommend people to, to give it a crack. Um, the drinks industry wouldn't want me saying that, but I do think it's a really yeah. good thing to do. And I think, like you said also, it's just exercising willpower. Yeah, and it so is. So it's yeah, the same sure. as, it would be similar to saying, I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. every day, or I'm yeah. going to do, I'm going to run home every day, or I'm going to make sure I read a book every day, or I'm yeah. going to do, at work, I'm going to have lunch with a different person every day. Whatever it might be, mm. that takes you outside your comfort zone, yeah. and just requires you to actually actively do something, which it's you don't really, necessarily really want to do. And if you're fun on the piss now, if you give up drinking and put yourself through that social challenge and, and mm. stretch yourself socially, as it does, when you go back on the piss, if you do, you're mm. going to be even more fun. Yeah. So it's a long-term play. Yeah, and I think exactly. that makes sense. It's actually an investment. Yeah, it is. It's an investment <laughs> that saves you money. How yeah, good is that? Exactly. You save a lot of money. That's another thing. Yeah, for um, sure. Especially in Australia. Oh, huge. I said to you, I think it was you I said to you uh, last week, that I think that... I've been more proactive in going after what I want mm. because of drinking, because mm. I've stopped drinking. Yeah. Um, you don't want that message getting mixed. <laughs> so because I stopped drinking, I've been more proactive in going after what I want. And I, yeah. think, I think it's because of this. Firstly, not everyone who goes out on the piss weekly is trying to escape. Some people yeah. just like going to piss. Nothing wrong with that. Because yeah. I was like that. I wasn't trying to escape. I just yeah. loved it. It was fun. Yeah. But whether or not it's deliberate... Mm. It, it does provide escapism. Even yeah. if you don't want it to, it yeah. does provide some level of escapism. Subconsciously, yeah. unwanted, whatever, it's there. Mm. And I think I would say that someone in a job they don't like or mm. a relationship they don't like or anything they don't like mm. is much more likely to stay in that situation, job, mm. relationship, country, whatever, if they are getting a weekly escape from it. Yeah, because it's sort of like they get a holiday. Yeah, it's just like, oh, give me the weekend and then I'll be fine. I'll get through another week of this crap. Whereas yeah. if you take away that escape... They're taking an incremental approach, which yeah, makes them stay in a, yeah. in a shitty thing. So if you, if you take away that escape, after four weeks of no escape, they're going to say, okay, if I'm not escaping from this, I'm changing it. Yeah. And they get out of the relationship, they get out of the job, they move country, whatever it is. Yeah. So I really think that not drinking has made me more proactive in going after what I want because it has de- uh, deprived me of the escapism yeah, that I, I was used to before. I think that's um, that's a really interesting way of thinking about it. I'm sure there's mass- that's a big contributing factor. I yeah. think when we talk- talk- talked about it, another thing which I think maybe has an impact on it is drink like having a you know like a big night out and drinking is a good way to have in inverted commas like safe danger. Like yeah, you, you get the kind of adrenaline rush of doing something like a release. And it's a little bit kind of dangerous, a little bit naughty, and it's fun. Yeah. And if you stop doing that, you don't have that kind of danger, but in like a manageable way in your yeah. life anymore. And so I kind of think that everyone wants a little bit of danger in their mm. life or a little bit of instability. Bit of risk, bit of exactly, stimulation, yeah. Because it kind of makes you feel like you're alive. Yeah. And so if you take away that kind of instability, risk, whatever you want to call it, you suddenly start seeking it in other ways and that might be I'm going to get out of a comfortable job that I'm a little bit bored with and going to take a little bit of a risk with work or I am going to end this relationship that I'm in or I'm going to get into a relationship that I've been kind of hovering around yeah because it's a bit of a risk and it adds that kind of excitement to your life Mm. that you didn't have 
that you used to get through drinking and going yeah. out, and now you don't get it. So you're like, I need to find that excitement or that thrill yeah. in another way. And you're, you're likely, well, I know this is actually a complete guess. You, you might be likely to find it in a more sustainable, healthy, you know, source than... Yeah, very. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure there is more. There's more healthy ways to get it. <laughs> yeah, to get so maybe kids. in my in my mind, not as much fun. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I you asked me actually where I get mine from. There, I don't. It, it's hard to say. Probably like progress. Like mm. if you're working towards goals. Yeah. I work towards them so but much I'm, more often now and much harder, much more focused. Yeah. I get a kick from that. Like I really get a for kick sure. from that. But I mean, you also quit your job when you're going to go traveling for yes, that's, months okay, yeah, that's around true. South America. So it's like there's definitely a little bit of kind of a risk there yeah but I think ultimately it'll it'll work out really well fingers crossed yeah but it's a bit exciting right it's something else that you're yeah juggling okay yeah so that they hang on that's definitely what I'm getting at (laughs) what I'm saying um the reason this this pod the 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 main reason behind this podcast is because so many people these days are so confused Mm. and it ties in I'm going to tie it back into what we were talking about earlier so if you were around 2,000 years ago and, and you, you met a fella who was going out hunting, you, you met a guy at 7 in the morning and he's all kitted out, ready to go out hunting with a spear yeah. and, you, and his name is Ed and you go, Ed, what are you doing today? He goes, I'm out hunting for my food. Yeah. And he's happy as Larry and he's, he's tunnel vision, he's ready to roll and there's no distracting him. Mm. It's because he needed the food that he was going out to catch and mm. we were kind of saying this earlier but what I think... And then, you know, maybe he comes home and you say in the afternoon, all right, Ed, you got your food, what are you doing? He goes, I'm building my... Uh, I'm building my roof for the evening in case mm. it rains or I'm building my fire or whatever it is. Or I'm, I'm, I'm keeping watch to make sure the place is safe. He had to work for each of Maslow's five needs. Yep. And because he had to work for it, he was always stimulated and mm. uh, always striving. And I actually mm. read in a really good book recently, When Breath Becomes Air, mm. the guy said he was a brain surgeon. So he, he kind of saw people in all of their most vulnerable and human times when they had surgery they are most comfortable and happy when they're striving. Mm. And he was, this, this caveman, Ed, is striving for each of Maslow's five needs, so he yeah. never has to worry about what he's doing, what he's going to do, yeah. you know, what his life is about, any of that stuff. Just tick the bloody five boxes and that's his life. These days, we have, as we discussed, Maslow's five needs absolutely taken for granted. Mm. And when you do that, then you start looking for a bit of luxury on top of that. Mm. With Uber Eats and, and Amazon and all these different companies now servicing us on a couch, those luxuries are absolutely taken care of as well and aren't mm. just, lo- you know, they're, they're, anyone can have them. Mm. What do we, like the confusion, I think, stems from we have nothing to strive for. We don't strive yeah. for the five needs. We don't strive for those luxuries. What are we striving for now? Yeah, it's really And I think that's why these guys, are not these guys, why people our age are so confused. Yeah, and I think it's true. I think, I, I think there's one other thing which has an impact and that... I think now that there's a lot of a sense for a lot of people that no matter how hard they strive, they won't achieve what they want. They feel like the you know deck is stacked against them, um, in the sense that you know we talked about property prices. Like let's use that as an analogy. Some mm. people think no matter how hard they work, if they've got a normal job and they work and they have to live in an expensive city like Sydney, no matter how much how hard they work, they're never going to be able to afford to buy a place. Yeah, and you can have your own view about the truth of that mindset but it's definitely true that people have that mindset and i think you can extrapolate that in countries especially you know like america where there's a huge opportunity but there's also not as much of a safety net as there is in a lot of europe or australia that people feel like you know if they are starting in a you know not favorable position they feel like there is such an like 
inherent bias against them, whether yeah. that's historical or whether that's just who they are as a person, like they don't have money to start with, they can't go to the right schools or whatever it is. They feel that no matter how hard we strive, we aren't going to actually get there. And I think that has a really important impact on people because that caveman kind of, let's say, in inverted commas, knew he had to go out and strive and if he did, he'd catch his food and then he'd make a fire and blah, blah, blah. But if you think that no matter how hard, if I go out hunting today, no matter how hard I hunt, I'm not going to get anything... Like I think actually be, hunting. Yeah, actually yeah. hunting. I think there's going to be a proportion of that those cavemen that go, well, what's the point? Yeah. And they don't do it. So mm. I think partly it's there's a sense for some people that they can't ever achieve what they want because the odds are stacked against them so heavily. Yeah. Um, I think also, as you said, there's because a lot of your basic needs are covered, you don't need, in inverted commas, to do it as much. Yeah. Um, which is true. And I think there is, in the modern world, a crisis of like existential you know, fervor where people don't understand why they're alive and what they're supposed to strive for and yeah. what they're supposed to do. And I kind of brought this up when we, when we had a chat um, last time about careers and you talked about, I talked about like a quote that I found really inspirational and it was about the idea that you're completely insignificant you're so and don't matter. Yeah. And I re-listened to it and I was like, oh, that actually sounds pretty bad. But to me, it's empowering because it means that I have complete autonomy and control over my own destiny and all I have to do is, you know, do what I want and makes me happy and fulfills me. I yeah. don't owe it to anyone else to do what they want. I don't owe it to a higher power to do something. It's just whatever I derive, you know, enjoyment from, I should do. Yeah. And whatever that enjoyment is, whether that's happiness or success or whatever I get to define as well. How lucky is that? Um, and I think going back to your original question around what do we have to strive for, it's that finding what is it that matters to you that you're going to, you know, devote your life to and that could be your career that could be your family that could be faith that could be any like other people yeah it could be anything right and i think it's finding for yourself what makes you feel good mm. and then seeking to like maximize that yeah in, in your own life yeah and what's hard is i think as well we have so many different choices now caveman doesn't have a choice he's got to make a fire yeah he's got to go hunting he's got to build a shelter whatever it is He's got to fight off, you know, saber-toothed tiger. I don't know. We're mixing metaphors here. Yeah. But um, has so many different things that he has to do that it never comes down to what you want to do. Mm. And to us in the modern world, that almost seems like a sense of relief because we have so many choices that we have like a crisis of choice where we don't know what to do. Yeah. But I think the other way to remember is what about all the cavemen who hated hunting and making fires who really just wanted to, you know, like program computers or who just wanted to sit and look at the sky and you know, consider their own existence. And Most the problem, of them, I'd say, didn't survive. Yeah, exactly. And so I think we have a tendency to romanticise difficult, like, past history because it helps solve a small problem that we have now, which is we have so much choice, it's hard for us to find meaning in the world. Yeah. Um, but we forget that that meaning is... That, that choice is actually a blessing, even though it's hard it's better than the alternative. Yeah. Yeah, okay. My take on how you tackle that, and I was like, this is my take on a huge mm. issue, like, you know, confusion and that sort of thing. I think that you should strive. You go down one or two paths. One is mission, and that's what mm. you're saying, something you care about. So 
the environment needs literally everybody. It needs mm. all hands on deck. If you're stuck for something there, then just start doing something that will help that out. Or mm. obesity, all these huge issues that need as many people tackling them as they can. If you if you can't find a mission that mm. really gets you going, just go for one of the big missions that you know needs to be solved and needs your help. So uh, if you're not going to go with mission, which a lot of people don't, because some people just don't have the reaction to problems that they witness, then I have a, a thing that I go for, stimulation and pride. Mm. And if you go for happiness, happiness is kind of just this invisible ghostly thing that you try to grasp at and you might catch it for a second and you have a yeah. great day and you're elated, but then it slips back down and it gets out of your hands and you go grasping for it again like a little ghost or a bar of soap and I just don't think that's worth striving for it's yeah. too inconsistent sort of yeah but if you strive for stimulation mm. you can control that you can make sure that you're doing something that stimulates because stimulation is, is kind of teed up by many different things it's teed up by fear mm. do something that you're afraid of and you will be stimulated while you're doing it yeah do something that you enjoy that tickles you creatively or intellectually and you'll be stimulated while you do it. Yeah. If you're a people person, do do something that involves interacting with people, and you'll be stimulated while you're doing it. Uh, do something that you think needs to be done that slips back into the mission route, and I think you'll be stimulated while you're doing it. You can control whether or not you're stimulated by what you're doing. You can yeah. control whether or not you do something that will stimulate you. And look, like say, I know a lot of people who are financial traders. Mm. I don't think they're contributing much to society in any way mm. so they're definitely not doing the mission thing mm. but in a way and back when I was a bit more like kind of extreme or just discovering this stuff I would have said that like you know there was no because they weren't contributing much the jobs mm. shouldn't have existed yeah but those guys are actually in a really good spot because they found something that that stimulates them yeah and it's like they're they're adults who go and play a game that they love yeah. like it's you know you don't yeah. have to worry about the kid who's out playing football he loves yeah. his football he's happy yeah. out yeah same with these guys they're, they're playing yeah. the markets and it's a game that you and i both know can be very addictive and stimulating yeah good on them like they've got something for that sure. they're really into for sure. and if they can find that you can find something that's stimulating for you as well so that's the first thing and then at the end of the day so you're stimulated say from nine to five when you're working you mm. get out of the office you put on your coat you go home to the apartment have you done something that will make you proud? So how do you get stimulated in the evenings? Pride. Pride about the quality of the work you provided. If you did work, say, like a trader or something like that mm. that doesn't really contribute, or did you at least do it to a high quality? If you painted yeah. a picture that only you are going to look at, mm. did you do it to the best of your ability? Can you be proud of the effort you put in? If so, you're stimulated for the evening. Mm. Or did you contribute towards a big mission thing like uh, obesity or... or uh, any, any, any cause that needs help. If you have contributed to those during your 9 to 5, you can also be proud of that. And so stimulation 9 to 5 and pride 5 till 9 the next day. Yeah. You can have a high level of, of kind of living or mental or emotional being. You can be in a positive or mental emotional state for 24 hours a day if you, if you chase after stimulation and pride. Yeah, mate, I think that's awesome. I really like that as a, um, as a framework. I think what's really interesting for it, and I think the thing that most people will be tripped up by is like that's a completely internally focused thing. And what you're saying is what stimulates you is going to be perhaps unique to you and equally what you're proud of is going to be unique to you. So mm. um, that's why I really like it. And I think the, the trap that a lot of people fall into, you know, I certainly fall into it, is that you seek validation yeah. from external points and you see someone else saying this is what is stimulating i.e. you have to read Shakespeare 
That's yeah. the only form of stimulation that counts, right? Or the only things which you're allowed to be proud of are the following set of, you know, virtuous things that we as a society say you can be proud of. Yeah. Um, and I think people then try and follow those. But it's like you said, it's finding what is stimulating to yeah. you and then what can you are you proud of. And it may be, you may be proud of the fact that you don't, do any of the things which everyone else thinks are great mm. but you're proud of something else you like, might find that stimulating exactly the fact that people are like oh look at him he's exactly all, he's, he's a weirdo or whatever. Yeah. exactly but it's like you're still ultimately going to be happy because happiness is an internal thing yeah and when I guess when people mistake like happiness for like joy and it's not like being you know laughing all day in fact, if you laugh all day, you might actually be miserable. Yeah. Because you're like escaping, <laughs> as you said, right? You yeah. Know, like you just watch Seinfeld all day and you're having the best time, laughed all day. Yeah. But at the end of the end, at the end of it, you don't actually feel any better because, yeah. you know, you ha- maybe haven't done anything which either stimulates you or makes you proud. Mm. Um, so I think that's I think that's really really interesting. Yeah, that that's like that's one of the five pillars to the book I've just written: mm. uh, stimulation and pride. I'm a huge believer. I just it hit me last year. I just think it's a it's what works for me, basically. Right, for sure, for sure. And it, I, the reason I came across it, because I used to just say it was all about contribution, all about yeah. contributing. If you weren't tackling, say, one of the big five problems, you were wasting your life. Yeah, And okay. I thought, that was my extreme mode. And I was like, hang on. Like, yeah. Think about these guys who are, they're, they're great, because they're off doing whatever, like, they're making the most of their lives. Whatever yeah. it is that gets them off, they're going doing it and enjoying it. And yeah. by virtue of the fact that they're enjoying what they're doing from nine to five, they're able to come home to their wives, husband, girlfriends, friends, whatever, and just be the happy one at the table and say, yeah. like, yeah, go off, do whatever you want. And exactly. They're, they're contributing that way. and They can contribute indirectly. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think, well, for me, it makes sense because I think all you're, you know, you're bound to do in the world today is, you know, maximize your own utility. Yeah. And so that 100% hits that. And I think if someone told me I had to only contribute to one of five things, even if I did perhaps like them, yeah, you I wouldn't prob- react I well. I probably wouldn't react well to it. Yeah. I'd be like, no, I'm not doing those five things just because you told me yeah. that I have to do it. So I think that's um, that's really interesting. I think what's also interesting about um, stimulation and pride is you can sort of compartmentalise your life and say, so for example, not everyone is fortunate enough to be able to have a job that they find super stimulating, right? Mm. And you know, we might have different views on you know your ability to get those jobs uh, and all that, but let's just say, for example, you have a job that you find not at all stimulating and you're not at all proud of. That doesn't mean that you can you can't ever be stimulated or proud because yeah. you can use your personal time to do that which does stimulate you. Yeah. And so, for example, a lot of people go to work in order to be able to fund the rest of their life that they actually, you know, care about and are interested in. And I know some people who work um, in government, and this isn't having a dig at government jobs, but a lot of the people who they work with sort of day-to-day don't seem super enthralled with the work they're doing. Yeah. And it's not because it's the government, but because it's just, you know, quite administratively heavy, you know, not really testing them that much intellectually. And so you have this view that those people aren't very interesting and aren't very bright or whatever because they're just doing admin type work. But if you talk to that person about something outside of work, suddenly they light up and they, for example, might be, you know, a community sports coach or they might be an artist or they might be yeah. a film critic or they might be a racing car driver or they might be a surfer or whatever. And if you find what it is that they're interested about, suddenly this person completely changes yeah. in front of you because they're talking about something that stimulates them. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's really interesting to think about how do you, you know, if you can't do a job that either ticks both those boxes, like ideally you do, but if you can't, then it's like how do you maximise the rest of your life so that you're ticking those boxes yeah. as much as you can. And I, I, I like the idea that 
if those are the two things you're trying to do, you should spend as much of your life doing yeah. that and as little of your life not doing that as possible. 100%. I'm going to have to um, go on and talk about another chapter of the book now. So you've literally just walked me into it. I can't help. I can't resist. Yeah, let's go. Let's have a preview. That whole thing is, it's a different, one of the other pillars is expression. Mm. So I think that expression is the key to mental health, good and bad. So if you look at someone who's, and we always seem to slam banks on this, but someone who's in a miserable <laughs> bank job. Sorry, I, any just slammed, job I just slam government. So. Yeah. <laughs> someone who's in a miserable job that they don't like. And they, they might be very intellectually stimulated by it. So sorry, not a miserable job, just a job. They are very intellectually stimulated by it and they might have a, a partner that they like that they go to, home to, etc. and have kids and have uh, wealth, have all, have everything everything on the outside and they they're pretty feel pretty good about it but there's something missing that person and their unhappiness or that that little thing that is missing i always think that expression is that little thing so what is it that is bringing that person's mental health down it's the fact that in their job while they may be intellectually simulated they don't get a chance to express what is inside them mm, okay and whether that's something creative or uh, talking to friends about whatever's going on inside their head or emotionally or just crazy ideas, like whatever it might be. I think that expression is the key to... Uh, the lack of expression is what gives people poor mental health. Not yeah. all the time, not clinically, but yeah. generally, the undetected cases, someone who's just mulling along, mm. I think it is an absence. I often observe that it is an absence of expression in their lives. And when you say that. expression, do you mean... Because, like, could you turn expression into, like... Close personal relationships. You, absolutely. Or is it more than that? So, for example, like, does it have to be talking about, like, I've got this burning artist inside me that I have to express? Yeah. Or could it be that it's just a chance for me to feel like there's someone who wants to know what I think about things? I think it's more than that. So here's, I, full disclosure, this is, I operate off a spreadsheet. This is yeah. like my life operates off a yeah. spreadsheet. And it's my goals. And I have five brackets for goals. So every mm. month I update it. I have... Um, business or commercial, like career, we'll just say career. Mm -hmm. I have career, creative, emotional, spiritual, physical. Mm -hmm. And I, have to, I, I update it every month and I have to achieve the goal for that month every time. Yeah. And those five pillars are key for me because mm -hmm. if I have all of them bar one, I feel a little bit imbalanced. Yeah. And the creative only came in like a couple of months ago as I started kind of writing the book and that sort of stuff. And things like this podcast, I guess, are a way as well. But the creative is what, it, it fills in that gap, it really does. Mm. And whether that's writing a book, running a podcast, uh, drawing a picture, like if yeah. I have a good mate who's big into art, he never paints or draws anymore. Mm. I'd love to see him do it because he's really good at it and I know it would give him a kick mm. if he did it. Uh, drawing, if so, and someone might be or like, Sports, dancing, um, like fencing, anything you've ever wondered, what if, what if I did that? Mm. Give it a crack. And that, would, that could be your expression for that month and it might catch on, be your expression yeah, okay. for a year for good. A lot of people will listen to that list and say, I'm not bloody going uh, dancing or, part, or uh, I don't know, drawing or fencing or whatever it is. <coughs> I think cooking is the most for overlooked sure. channel. So I talk about channels of expression in the book. Like, yeah. And sports, hobbies, whatever, they're all channels. People, friends are channels for sure. Mm. Cooking is one of the most overlooked channels yeah. because cooking is a, a realm that allows you to be really creative. Yeah. Um, photography is another one that I see people getting into as they, as they get older. But cooking, 
you you're, sure. you're, you're able to be so much more creative and like I dabble in it and I'm pretty crap at it but even as I do it so one rule I'll never cook if I don't have Spanish flamenco music on in the background <laughs> I just love it I feel so like yeah. Antonio Banderas Gets you in the mood. it's really good yeah but if you're doing that and you just throw in a few flavors and yeah. go off script and go a bit rogue and try a few different things it's a it's a means of creativity and, and expression. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it really helps. And I see it. Some people that I used to work with in the bank, are they don't have hobbies, but yeah. they just are mad for about cooking. Yeah. And you can they light up when you talk about it. Yeah. And they're talking about a bloody bolognese they made on Friday, but exactly. you can see how lit they are talking about it. It's yeah. brilliant. It's awesome. And it's I, also, think, I think cooking is also good because it gives you a sense of accomplishment. For sure. It's yeah. like building a, a model or whatever. Like yeah. you start with pieces and you end up with a finished product. Exactly. And you feel like you've achieved something by doing it. And it's then if really you also good. get to throw creativity in there, that's probably two of your kind of yeah. stimulations. And you evolve it as well. So like say uh, the basically the only thing I can talk, cook half decent is a bolognese same as right. any other guy yeah, yeah, yeah. but I have a set recipe and then sometimes I tweak it I throw yeah. some chilli in what you happens know, if you I do up. this differently yeah, yeah it's cool um, so I think uh, we talked about the guy in the job who there's something just missing and his mental health is just going down undetected mm. which is very dangerous I think yeah um, and also I, think, I guess for men it's not, a, it's not okay to talk about exactly that yeah. yeah so I think expression is, the, is what's missing there often and then I think if you look at, think of all the happy people you know who are always up in the bed and kind of cheery, et cetera, and just clearly enjoying their lives, I would bet big that they each have a form of their own expression. Yeah. Whether it is uh, really good relationships which allow them to express themselves emotionally or creatively and, or any other way, mm. or just hobbies, cooking, yeah. uh, sports, whatever it is. I really think expression is the key to mental health either yeah. way. That's really cool. I think, I think there's definitely... Um, Definitely something to say on that. I think that's awesome. On the cooking one, it's really funny. You just when you were talking about it, it just reminded me of my dad. So my dad's a lawyer, you know, and he loves to read. So he reads in his personal life. Right. Um, obviously reads a lot of work. Very kind of like black letter work. Um, but mate, loves to cook. He cooks every weekend. Really? Like my mum doesn't cook on weekends. Like only dad does because you'll see him at like three o'clock on the way on Saturday. Like he's gone shopping during the day and then like three o'clock on the Saturday, he like starts chopping and preparing all his ingredients yeah. and he's found a recipe. Like he spent the whole week, like what's the one thing he wants to make and just spends three or four hours doing it. And it combines like all these different things which people don't realize. So yeah. part of it is like you thought about is creative, uh, is the creative element to it. But then there's also, like I said, you know, like a sense of achievement in having a task doing yeah. it and then like seeing the result then there's also the sense that you feel really happy because you're providing enjoyment to other people because yeah. you cook for others yeah um but i think also one thing that's really interesting it's got cooking has a lot of like mindless repetitive activity in it like chopping and stirring yeah and like, i always pay out my dad that he picks dishes that have the most possible amount of chopping because <laughs> he'd love he just dices things up so small he's got this huge chopping board and he'll have like 10 different ingredients on it he's chopped them all up to like the smallest thing and he like that. he personally makes coleslaw where he has to like shred cabbage and right. carrot and everything but he doesn't have any special tools to do it he just uses a knife yeah and i think it's just because he loves to chop because if you think about it it might take you 25 minutes to chop and while you're chopping you can't think about anything else but equally you're not really thinking about chopping well you're that, just doing that's it. a proven thing you know exactly if you do a mundane simple task mm. i think the front of you I, I, yeah. I don't know the, the brain mm. stuff but the front of your brain gets engaged and the back can wander yeah exactly and i so i used to love cutting and it's the like meditation exactly so same thing. it's the same so people yeah some people do it through like cleaning and um or housework some people do it through yeah garden work yeah some people do it through playing like you know golf is really good for it because yeah. you kind of got to think about your swing but you do other stuff 
Um, but yeah, for dad, he just he just chops. I love that. And so I think that's another thing about that's good about cooking yeah. is that it lets you do that. It's the same, or people making, you know, you see people gluing together models or making Lego or something like that. Mm. You know, there's quite it's quite difficult sort of motor skills, but it's not actually. Yeah. You don't really have to think about what you're doing. You're yeah. not like, oh, God, where am I going to get the next carrot from? Because it's yeah. sitting right in front of you. Yeah. But actually just physically doing it, it's quite, quite And I, I think cooking is brilliant. So, like, I'm crap at it, but I just <laughs> think that everyone can do it. So, I mean, yeah. I, I could say to you, oh, you should play a sport, you should play rugby. Yeah. Uh, no, I can't. I'm too old or yeah. I'm banged up or I just don't like sport, whatever. Yeah, I can't get to the field or yeah. I haven't got a ball, I haven't got anyone to play with. Yeah, and if I said to you, you should you should start cooking and you said no, I said, well, do you eat? Yeah, yeah. everyone eats. Yeah. So you need to get the food. You might as well cook yourself. Stop exactly. ordering Uber Eats. Like, it's a Monday night cooking night. Yeah, exactly. Red wine. Throw some red wine in there and make, make sure. yourself enjoy it. Like, and whatever. also, you can incrementally approach it. So yeah. you start off and you make toast. And then yeah. it's just, it's just, yeah. it's just, and then you you know, toasted cheese on, cheese on toast, yeah. cheese and tomato. And you can just incrementally add complexity mm. until, you know, the sky's the limit, right? And, and like, you can almost guarantee that people will get, if they give it five weeks, they'll get into it. Like they just, you, yeah. you just get into it. It's really, really sure. cool. It's fun. And, and I, and I wanted to come back to another thing. You talked about like really happy people. And I yeah. think one thing that's really interesting, it took me a while to realize this was that, um, we talk about like happy people. But that doesn't mean happy, like happy people aren't happy 24 hours a day. Yes. And so I think we can kind of get down on ourselves by thinking like, oh, I'm not a happy person because I'm not happy now. Yeah. But it's not that. It's more like, do you have a positive outlook? Are you generally happy or are you generally pissed off or yeah. sad? And so I think in the same way that looking at like A to Z, if you look all the way down there, if you think that, you know, for me, happiness is being happy 24 hours a day, that's never going to happen. Yeah. And so you're going to feel dejected and feel like a failure. But if you realize that happiness is probably just on the whole being happy, then it's maybe it seems more effective. Yeah, just uh, your, what is your what is the point of equilibrium to which you revert when there's no exactly. other stimuli? Yeah, exactly. I think that will tell you whether or not you're a happy camper. Exactly. And the same the same I was the reason I thought about that again was because you're talking about cooking and it's like I really like to cook, but equally a lot of nights I'm like, fuck, I cannot be bothered cooking, yeah. right? Because you come home, you've had a busy day or you've been like let's say like this isn't just doesn't apply to me because I don't do it. But like if you go to like training after yeah. work and then you just get home, you're really tired. The last thing you want to do is like cook up spaghetti marinara. Yeah. But maybe don't do it that night. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just like do it when you do have time. Or like I, the way I started, I started doing it on Friday nights with yeah. my girlfriend. And that's like what we would do on Fridays. And it's like, because you kind of, we would always say like, what are we going to do this Friday? And if you realize, if you say, let's just cook something. That, that might take you two and a half hours. That's an activity. Oh, it's a pure activity. And it's great fun doing exactly. it with a girlfriend as well. Exactly. And like, I'm sure she <laughs> she might find it less fun because sometimes, like <laughs> I remember on uh, one of the first times she cooked for me, she made um, uh, fajitas. Right. And she was like cook, cooking up, the, cutting up the capsicum to put with it fajitas. And she started cubing the capsicum. Right. And I was like, oh... Would you really cube capsicum? <laughs> oh my god! And I was like, "Don't you want to like cut it into slices?" Jesus. And she was like, "Fuck you!" <laughs> uh, so I'm not sure if she always finds it fun, but like, it is something you can do together. And even yeah. if, you don't, if you just do it on your own, like Friday night, instead of going out, maybe just cook something. That's and, gonna be a hard sell to some of the some of the grads out there. But so Friday night over I, time, over time, mate, I, I didn't do it. it. I didn't do it at uni either. Yeah, but I I do it Friday night. I kind of I like Friday night. Friday night or Sunday to me. Sunday afternoon is Sunday a good, is good. Time to do it. A good day to do something is Monday night. Particularly, I found so I got into I was in the mixed netball teams okay. while I was at Macquarie, and for yeah. any Irish people there, netball is like a pure girl sport, but it's great yeah. fun, and. Every Monday night, we all got together and did the netball mm-hmm. because Monday's such a crap day after the yeah. weekend. You're like, oh, geez, back to work. 
and it just lit up Mondays. Gives you a bit. something to look forward to. Yeah, yeah, it really lit up Mondays and got you off to a positive start to the week. So yeah. with any activity out there, grads who were kind of like you know if the working world was kind of sucking so far, spice up Mondays a bit. Yeah. Pardon the pun because. It's <laughs> <but spice>. <laughs> <laughs> throw something in the Monday pot yeah. no um, honestly like do something on Monday nights and make it more stimulating and no better cause than cooking and get your mates around to do that what's the show called come dine with me oh yeah yeah where you do sure. like five lads or five people cook and then you change houses and for you have sure. to like you improve your cooking exactly and um, yeah and just have one person cook each week and yeah. then yeah you kind of get it gets a little bit of competitive tension going as well there you go a bit of competitive expression right yeah. I think that's all we have time for but that was awesome Mate, um, that was really that. cool and you're the first person to come on twice as well yeah and the first person to come on a, a special <laughs> yeah special edition Mate. we'll be having more of these special editions I really like them yeah thanks very much had a great time not at all